Father, we say with young Samuel, speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. Amen. There is a a very brief sermon summary in the bulletin uh, where we're up to in the service. I'll commend it to you. Anthony Scaramucci was largely unknown in America until last week when he landed on page one of every newspaper. Scaramucci has become Donald Trump's new head of public relations. Now, previously, he had been a happy amateur political blogger, and he'd uh, put up such things as, I like Hillary, she is incredibly competent. We need much more gun control. Climate change deniers are so disheartening. And about Mexico, walls don't work, never have, never will. But last week, he immediately wiped all these blogs that were the very opposite from the views of the president, whose views he now has to support. Well, as we know, people can change their tune, but God never does. That's why we're spending six sermons following God's dealings with Abraham, events from 4,000 years ago. The God who spoke with Abraham is exactly the same God who knocks on the door of our hearts, hoping he can also speak with us. So what does God reveal about himself to Abraham? As we've seen in the last few weeks, he shows himself, as he always does, to be the giver of good things, the generous initiator of blessings, the eager source of of undeserved privileges. He is the God of grace. And he says about Abraham in verse 19, I have chosen him. He didn't choose me. I have chosen him to become a great and holy nation. Now, Abraham had been old and childless when this promise first was made some years ago, and that was when he was told that he and his descendants would also be given a land and economic prosperity and protection and also somehow that they would bring a blessing to all the nations of the earth. Now, this last bit, bringing a blessing to all the nations of the earth, of, uh, of God's grace promise, came true when Abraham's descendant, Jesus, died for the sins of the world, thus bringing the chance of eternal life to all the nations of the earth. God is the God who showers us for free with good stuff beyond measure. God gives free gifts, and he does not change. He is always the God of grace. But then... God expected Abraham to understand what good fortune he had received, not to take it for granted, and to respond with great eagerness to cooperate with God. Now, there is at least one country in the world where people drive on the right-hand side, uh, can carry a loaded gun when they go down the street to buy a newspaper, They expect players of their main summer sport to go unpunished when they abuse the umpire and where, in some states, it's quite okay for churches and sporting clubs and social organisations to be deliberately racially segregated. Now, when folk migrate from there to here, they have to adjust to driving on the left-hand side 
to being unarmed when they go down the street, to accepting the referee's decision in silence, and to daily bumping into people of other races and religions as equals. Why? Because the privilege of living in Australia requires living the Australian way. Abraham from the start learned that the privilege of being chosen by God requires living the God way. And because God never changes, we too are called to live the God way. Now here in this reading today of God's dealing with Abraham is one big part of living the God way for Abraham. Again in verse 19, the Lord said, I have chosen Abraham that he may charge his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice. Abraham's household, that is, his children that are still to come and all his workers, everybody that's under his umbrella, must be taught about God's call to Abraham and God's promise to Abraham and God's expectation of Abraham living in righteousness and justice. Part of God's way for Abraham was passing on his faith to his successors. And nothing has changed for us. Well, how are we doing? Well, overall, of course, we're not doing all that well. And back in Abraham's day, passing on faith was not so tricky as it is today. And today it is indeed tricky. Almost everything in those days was learned in the home. And your faith, your morality, your behaviour, how you fitted into society, what you did in all sorts of circumstances, all the attitudes and prejudices you had, the trade that you followed, all of this children learned from their family, especially from their parents. Outside influences, I mean, compared to today, were minimal. Now, even so, success was never guaranteed. There are several biblical examples of adult children having no respect for their parents' faith. And old Eli's sons, Hophni and Phineas, of course, are the classic ones who'd rejected their father's faith and uh, brought great shame on uh, that, uh, the old priest and the faith that he stood for. But God made a particular point that Abraham focused on passing on his faith to his household and his family. They had been chosen for a task. They needed to know it. They needed to take it on board. They needed to fulfil it. Abraham had to pass it on. And we too are expected to pass it on. What weapons have we got to raise the chances? Because there are no guarantees. What have we got to raise the chances of our children and our grandchildren turning wholeheartedly to Jesus? Well, here are four suggestions. The first one, be a deeply interested parent or grandparent and friend. Deliberately give to each child so much focus attention that their emotional tank is always full. Now that takes time and deliberateness, but it's vital. 
Secondly, we need to be thoroughly, totally Christian in the family. Doesn't mean we don't be non-Christian somewhere else, but particularly a focus in the family. Because our children see what we are, which shouts much more loudly than anything we say. And we need to be aware we are always in Jesus' company and to live appropriately. Because this will make us more generous, more honest, more apologetic, even to our kids, more likeable, more the sort of person they want to be. The third thing is to strive for good answers. Now, there are books ranging from quite simple through to fairly complicated with good answers, at least to all the usual questions that the Christian faith raises. We need to be aware of them, to have them, to be looking at them, to be passing them on, to be using them. And uh, we have a number, particularly of uh, this one called Making Sense of God uh, by Timothy Keller. The parish uh, was donated a number last year by uh, a man who was leaving the parish and wanted these to be available for folk. But there are so many more. And we need to have this at our hands so that our kids and our grandchildren are given a good reason to think for Christ. But most importantly, number four, is to pray without ceasing. Never, ever surrender. Till our dying days, we are to keep praying for our kids and our grandchildren and perhaps for our parents. One of our parishioners and his Christian brother saw their father into a nursing home some years ago, still with no faith in Jesus. But somehow, in the nursing home, he became a believer. Past prayers eventually bore fruit. Never give up. It's a crucial part of living the God way. So God blesses Abraham with the chosen nation, us with the ticket to eternal life. God blesses and then expects full cooperation, especially passing on our faith in Jesus. And then God shared bad news with Abraham, expecting him to take some remedial action. There is no other point in him forewarning Abraham of the impending disaster unless he expected him to do something. Verse 20. How great is the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah and how very grave is their sin. And it was into Sodom where Abraham's nephew Lot has now moved. This successful younger squatter now resides in town with all its attractions, sharing the town's benefits and handicaps, and now its impending destruction. Now, Lot had uh, already needed to be rescued once before when a large raiding party from Mesopotamia had torched Sodom and made off with loot and prisoners, including Lot. Abraham had led the successful rescue only to see Lot then grow even more entrenched in Sodom, where now the outcry against its citizens was very grave. Some immense disaster was about to descend. And Abraham had been given the tip-off. And so Abraham prays. 
Presumably, trying to persuade Lot to up sticks out of Sodom looked like a dead-in-the-water option, so he prayed. He prayed hard. We too have been given a window into a future that is not pretty. On the one hand, as St John wrote, to all who receive Jesus, who believe in his name, are given power to become children of God, the free gift. The second we put our trust in Jesus to save us and to lead us, we're born again, we're saved, we're given our free ticket into eternal life. But on the other hand, as John went on to write, those who do not believe are condemned before they have not, because they have not believed in the only Son of God. Now the instant that this idea is raised, it is normal for our minds to protest. That's not fair on those who've never heard of Jesus. Well, Abraham had never heard of Jesus. And for those who've never heard, at least heard clearly about Jesus, and that's certainly quite a few millions in Australia, let alone the lands where Christianity is banned, leave them to God. He uses Jesus' death and resurrection to save Abraham. He uses Jesus' death and resurrection to save Moses because there's no other name under heaven by which man might be saved. And all the Old Testament saints, even though they'd never heard of Jesus, it is through Jesus that they are saved. As for whoever else there may be around the globe and across the centuries who is being saved also by Jesus' death without ever having heard of him. Now that is God's business and how God works that out, he is the one who knows all and makes no mistakes. Leave that to him. Our role primarily is with the millions who have heard but not believed. Their eternal future is grim indeed. Jesus described it simply as outer darkness, weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's a picture of endless regret. So Abraham prayed an intense, pleading, desperate prayer. He is so distraught, so absolutely helpless. In his inner agony, he begs and begs and begs God. All pride is forgotten. He beseeches God in the unselfconscious honesty of total helplessness the core of all prayer. We hear him say, well, suppose there are 50 righteous within the city. Will you then sweep away the place? Far be that from you. Oh, let me speak. I who am dust and ashes, suppose five of the 50 are lacking. Again he spoke. Suppose 40 are found there. Oh, don't be angry if I speak. Suppose 30 are found. Let me take it upon myself to speak. Suppose 20 righteous. And his last gasp, oh, don't be angry if I speak once more. Suppose 10. I mean, there's no other prayer, anything like this, in the whole of the Bible. Some people think that Abraham forgot whom he was talking with and thought he was back haggling in the Damascus camel market. But it's far more likely that he was at the end of his rope and frantic terrified for his brother's son. This is real praying. And God loves it. And not the anguish, 
but the dependence, the trust, the helplessness. As one writer concludes, prayer and helplessness are inseparable. In fact, only he who is helpless can truly pray. Helpless uh, is what I feel when I think of the teeming millions today who have not been drawn to Christ. Now, the church is growing sensationally in China and throughout Africa, south of the Sahara. But we are bleeding, often terminally, across the once Christian Europe and, of course, in much of Australia. The uh, Australian Church Missionary Society has 34 missionaries uh, plus their 43 children. It's a quarter of all its workers inside the Eurozone. These are desperate days. And in Outback Australia, most congregations are shrinking in number, but growing in average age. So the Bush Church Society, Aid Society has 50 missionaries across our seven states, bringing church leadership and growth in the bush, where otherwise the church and real faith would have kept disappearing. But it is still so little. I feel helpless. And often we feel just as helpless with our own families. Well, helplessness is the start of real prayer. And both CMS and BCA have simple ways to supply you with a prayer request every day. And they yearn for thousands more prayers. Ask me and I'll point you in that direction. God encouraged Abraham in his prayer of helplessness because God kept patiently answering in an encouraging way till Abraham had nothing more to say. And God did respond quite differently from Abraham's request, as God often does. Lot and his family were dragged out of the town where we read, sulphur and fire rained on Sodom. And even today, deposits of brimstone and asphalt are found around the Dead Sea. God does not change. He acts by grace, and then he wants our response, such as passing on faith to our families and to the whole world. What is your role in your family? And what is your role in the whole world? Never surrender. <laughs>